Aristotle, who was born in 384 BC, said, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. So our job as leaders is to create a place where, you know, people go to work and they, one of the things about pleasure is being safe. And unfortunately, there's a lot of leaders out there, and, and I created one. I don't know if you've met him yet. This is Al. No. Al is the souls. Oh, well, meet Al. Okay. Um, Hi, Al. Yeah, he's not he's not very acceptable as a human being. Um, no. This is Al, the soul-sucking CEO or the soul-sucking leader. Right, 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 right. The soul. And Al has a number of behaviors that don't create safety. For number one, Al thinks micromanagement is essential. Uh, he's the king of the, the castle. He must always be right. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating ego. Yeah. He loves to micromanage. He hates feedback. He doesn't follow through with what he says he's going to do. Mm. He, real, he rules with fear. And, you know, it's all of those things in an ego-driven, you know, self-centered leader that don't create safety in a workplace. Most of us never learned how to train our brains which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. What is happening, my Tough Talks tribe? You know, I've been referring to you like that as my Tough Talks tribe for a long time. And as of today, uh, the way that I'm thinking and what I mean when I say Tough Talks tribe is new. It's different now. It's been totally upgraded. And I love that I've been referring to you, the people that so loyally follow my podcast. And thank you for that. If I haven't said that lately, let me say sincerely, thank you because my content is my legacy. And this is an expression of my content. This is one of the forms of my content. So I take this as seriously as anything in my life. So I really am infinitely grateful to you for following this. It, it, it gives my life purpose. There is no part of that that's a stretch. So uh, that'll all make sense, the whole tribe, the new, deeper, expanded, upgraded uh, meaning behind the term tribe, that'll all become evident, evident in the conversation you're about to hear with our guest today. Let me say this though before that, uh, if you're not getting, speaking of content, right, if you're not getting um, the notifications uh, in your email inbox of my weekly blog posts every Tuesday, and if you're not getting your morning daily dose of mental toughness tips in 30 seconds or less distributed or um, uh, delivered to your uh, email inbox every morning around 6 a.m. wherever you are on the planet, let's go ahead and, and, and resolve that issue right now by going to ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, L-I-S-T-S. ChristopherDoris.com backslash lists, name, email, click, boom. All the goodies are yours. All right, our guest today, his name is Gary Ridge. He is the CEO of the WD40 company. Let me read you. He's got a few bios around, but this is my favorite one of them. As CEO of WD40 company, since 1997, Gary Ridge has helped reignite excitement and create cultures that foster breakthrough innovation in companies and workplaces in over 62 countries. In addition to his full-time role at WD40 Company, Gary shares his experience and insights externally through executive coaching, consulting, and speaking. Named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 10 global CEOs, his first-hand experiences in, tran in transforming a global brand with a market cap, this is actually inaccurate, it's better than this, market cap of 2.5 billion, uh, as well as his deep, profound commitment to creating workplace cultures that support the individual passions uh, of all who work there have attracted the recognition of today's most influential thought leaders. In 2016, he was named Igniter of the Year by Simon Sinek, author of Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Others to Take Action. 
And he also wrote, Leaders Eat Last, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Others Don't. Most recently, he's a contributor in the Marshall Goldsmith and Francis Hesselbein book. I met her, and I'm, we're going to talk about that. That's amazing. She, Fran, this is amazing. She's 106 years old, Francis, at the time of this recording, which is uh, February 4th, 2022. Francis Hesselbein was the CEO of Girl Scouts of USA for a, a long time. She's one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. Anyway, um, Gary contributed to a book that Marshall Goldsmith and Francis co-authored entitled Work is Love Made Visible. That's a solid title right there. A collection of essays about the power of finding your purpose from the world's greatest thought leaders. He's also collaborated with Ken Blanchard on this, Helping People Win at Work. Ken Blanchard, by the way, is the... Uh, He's the guy who did all like the One Minute Manager series. And also, this is my favorite book of Ken Blanchard's. We have a lot of um, show and tell going on today. Can't wait to talk with this. And, of course, we have some product. So, uh, while Gary continues to develop his own book projects, other authors write about his work at the WD-40 Company. And the WD-40 Company is featured in the 2018 book by Whitney Johnson, Build an A-Team, Play Their Strengths, and Lead Them Up. The learning curve. Additionally, Fast Company Magazine co-founder William Taylor also featured Gary's work in revitalizing innovation at WD-40 Company in his newest book, Simply Brilliant. Uh, as part of his lifelong commitment to helping others learn and develop, Gary is also an adjunct professor at the University of San Diego with talent management and succession planning. Uh, he is also certified as a coach using the Marshall Goldsmith Stakeholder-Centered Coaching Model. It, I mean, the guy is incredible. I'm so excited to meet him. I have not spoken to him, not one word. And uh, this is it. This is the beginning. I'm pumped. We're going to have a lot of goodies to share. All right. He's waiting for us. Let's go find him. Where are you, Gary? There he is, Mr. Gary Ridge. Gary, thank you so very much for making time for my Tough Talks tribe today. G'day, Chris. It's great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and okay, and a quick shout out to Meredith Bell for this beautiful introduction. I've been looking so forth. she's amazing. Thank you, thank you, Meredith. <clears throat> and, she's amazing. Uh, yeah, right. She, the greatest connector I've ever known. So Definitely. I want to share a couple things with you before we dive in. I have a million questions for you. I uh, but I want to share a couple things with you first. One, as I was reading, you're an amazing writer. You're an amazing storyteller, and obviously a remarkable leader. Uh, but as I was researching you, I got to tell you, it, it must be a hundred times. I spent hours reading your materials and, and studying you and your company. And it, it has to have been a hundred times where you would use some language that would remind me instantly of my greatest professional influence in my life. The late, great Jim Myers, who's my mentor, who, um, who was also the CEO of many companies in his time and ran an executive forum out here where you know, he was mentoring the CEOs of First Solar, Electric, and Avnet, and, and then tiny companies as well. But well, he led with love. <clears throat> you know, he, loved, he, he defined success as the art of getting the most out of your people. So I just want to say thank you for reminding me of him. <laughs> and secondly... <laughs> Leading up to this all week, I've been asking my friends for fun. Hey, uh, do you have any WD-40 in the house? And I'm telling you, every single one of them said they would respond as if I just asked them, does your house have a bathroom in it? <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, of course. So as early as recent as this morning, I, I was texting with a buddy of mine, who incidentally, his name is Jeff Ritter. He was also, he's a former guest on the on this podcast, he's a, he's a world-renowned golf instructor. And I, I said, do you have any WD-40 in the house? And of course, he goes, of course I do. I used it on the squeaky door just yesterday. I'm going to spray my bike chain with it when I get back home. And I said, that's, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm interviewing the CEO, uh, Gary Ridge, this morning for the podcast. And he said, that's awesome. Tell him, as citizens of Earth, we all appreciate the silence. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute to get the silence. Oh, yes, right, right, right. Getting rid of the squeaks. So, very cool. Yeah, it is cool. 
What is it like for people who get to, you of course included, but everybody who gets to, and I'm using that language very mindfully, what's it like for people who get to work at the WD-40 company? Well, Chris, I, I hope it's a place where people go to work every day. They make a contribution to something bigger than themselves. They feel safe and are protected and set free by a compelling set of values. They learn something new and they go home happy. That's really what we see as uh, where, what WD-40 should be all about. I love that you used the word safety in your response there. And it's all over everything that you write. Oh, by the way, this article is incredible. And thank you, Holly, for making sure that I got this. This is incredible. When did you write this? Oh, I don't remember. Well, it, it references um, something in 2018. So it's obviously after that. So it's yeah, 20, probably 2018, 2019. There's a whole bunch of them. I can't remember the exact timeline now. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. So you're prolific. I'm definitely, I'll be sharing this. Is it okay if I, I share this in, in the... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be sharing this with all the, co- all, all the leaders that I coach. Absolutely. I'll, I'll Thank put, you. I'll put a link. And for those people who are listening and not looking right now, I'm holding up an article that Gary wrote entitled The WD-40 Company Tribe Story. How we turned a great company into a community of belonging. So the word safety occurs a million times in this 13 page article. And of course, in your, in your, in your book with Ken Blanchard, and, <clears throat> uh, I, one of the most important things in my opinion that a leader can do is create a safe environment in which their people can play. That's my language, but, but I've read you say that different in different ways multiple times. Creating an environment that where people feel safe, safe, a lot of leaders who don't get what you get, <laughs> here that is maybe even soft. Safe? Soft? Soft. No. Yeah, right. Can you talk to me about the magnitude of the importance of creating a safe environment, of doing whatever it takes, and maybe yeah. tell us some of what it takes to create safety? Sure. You know, I... <clears throat> Aristotle, who was born in 384 BC, said, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. So our job as leaders is to create a place where, you know, people go to work and one of the things about pleasure is being safe. And unfortunately, there's a lot of leaders out there. And and I created one. I don't know if you've met him yet. This is Al. Al is the souls. Oh, well, meet Al. Okay. Um, Hi, Al. Yeah, he's not he's not very acceptable as a human being. Um, this is Al, the soul sucking CEO or the soul sucking leader. Right, 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 right. The soul. And Al has a number of behaviors that don't create safety. For number one, Al thinks micromanagement is essential. Uh, he's the king of the the castle. He must always be right. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating ego. He loves to micromanage. He hates feedback. He doesn't follow through with what he says he's going to do. Mm. He he rules with fear. And, you know, it's all of those things in an ego-driven, you know, self-centered leader that don't create safety in a workplace. So when you think about the other part of safety, it's it's the need to belong. And, And Maslow in his hierarchy to self-actualization, the first two rungs of that, he actually says, are, are safety and, and, and survival, basically. Am I, am I safe? And, and am I going to be provided with what I need to survive? And the next one is, is love or belonging. So let's not use that word love in business. My goodness, you know, we, we can't yeah. love people. Right. Of course we can. I mean, yeah. we can love who they are. We can love what they do. We can love that we can be with them. And all of that together creates a place where people can feel safe. I mean, you no harm um, is really something that we say all the time because we're here as, as coaches, not as, as, as managers, as coaches yeah, we'll get to, to help you. Yep. To help you step into the best version of your personal self. So uh, all of that together creates and vulnerability. You know, I, uh, a vulnerability is 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 important, particularly as leaders. We're, we're just, you see, I have something simple about life. We, we're just these 
simple human beings kind of bumbling our way down this road of life. And what happens is along this road, there are bushes. And in the bushes are these thieves. And these thieves are things like ego and greed and power. And they come into the, or run onto the, to the path and they pull us off the path of life. And, and what we need to do as leaders, as people, is keep reminding ourselves, am I being the person I want to be right now? Because we, we get pulled off by these thieves and, and we, we, we end up in a bush of where we don't want to be. What so we need to, I'm so sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So we need to, to, to remind ourselves, who do we want to be as a leader right now? And actually, I have a little post-it note on my computer because I, I need to remind myself all the time because I can get pulled off this road pretty easy. You know, it, it happens. And I say, who do I want to be? I want to be caring. I want to be empathetic. I want to be reasonable. I want to be a listener. I want to be fact-based. I want to be balanced. I want to be a curious learner and a curious leader. And I want to throw sunshine, not a shadow. And mm. I have to keep reminding myself mm. of that all the time because these thieves will pull mm. us off the road and into these places we don't want to be. And what exactly are the metaphorical thieves stealing from us? They're stealing from us who we really want to be mm. because they're sidetracking us by the emotions and the environment that are going on around us. And sometimes these thieves tempt us, you know, greed, come on, you know, power. Yes, you can be powerful, but it's, they're short term. Are you, do you know Bob Berg, the co-author of The Go-Giver? No. Have you heard of that book? I don't know if I have. Oh, yes, I do know that book. Okay, because you're reminding me of him right now. He's a gem oh. of a human being. You're reminding me I of a lot book. of beautiful humans that I know, my friend. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I interviewed him recently for the podcast as well. He gets what you're throwing down. Um, okay, let's talk about the expense of the absence of... So, uh, there's, I have two things, two questions here from what you just said. <clears throat> well, I, I really love to leave every episode here having the audience, my tribe, the Tough Talks tribe, walking away with something tangible, practical, something they can go practice, do, that'll enhance whatever it is that they're doing. So let's go to the how. Let's go to the how question first. And then I'll talk about the, then I want to talk with you about the liability of not creating safety. Like what is the expense of that? But first, how do you, your coaches, create safety? Well, I think firstly, you know, it's really important that we have a compelling set of values within our organization that drive our behavior. And, and we do have that. So, you know, what are values there for? They're there to protect you and to set you free at the same time. So it's important to have values in an organization that do that. Um, you know, the second thing is, is that um, you, do you have a, a, a culture where the coach is dedicated to helping those that they lead step into the best version of their personal self? Are you dedicated to that, which is so important? And, and when you, you know, we, as you know, we talk about a tribe as you do. And, and the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. Mm -hmm. Going back millions of years, you know, when we first started talking about tribes, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but it was 20 plus years ago. Um, I studied the attributes of the indigenous Australians and the Fijian Islanders. And mm. if we were to, if we had a time clock and were able to go back thousands of years and observe a group of indigenous Australians meeting in the harsh desert of Australia, what would we observe? We would observe the tribal leader teaching the tribe members how to throw a boomerang. Why? Because the boomerang, there it is, the boomerang okay. is, was the tool of survival. So the number one responsibility of the tribal leader was to be a learner and a teacher. Learning and teaching, values, belonging, future focus, specialized skills, warriors, and celebration. We don't have the time to cover all of those, but that you elaborate. Those are the seven values, right? Those are the seven attributes 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 right of all tribes 
So yeah, I do use the word tribe, but I, I got to tell you, in, in researching you and your company, I'm I'm learning a lot more about tribes, and mm-hmm. I will refer to uh, I will behave differently, and refer to my tribe differently, uh, <clears throat> because of my learning from you on that, and that's fascinating to me. Yeah, this was a gift. Uh, this has been I was this was given to me so so long ago by a guy named Christian Hills who played, I was the mental coach for the golf team here at Arizona State University a while ago for about 11 years. He played on the teams. He's from Sydney. And, uh, and he gave me this as a thank you gift. And, you know, I, I've had this on display in my living room forever because it's beautiful. I mean, this is a, this sure. is, I mean what a beautiful, right, gift. And Very fine-looking boomerang there. Isn't it, though, right? Which is why I've never thrown it. <laughs> but I'm going to go get a different one. There's a field next to my house. And I actually inspired by you. There's actually a YouTube channel right up right now, how to throw a boom, a traditionally made boomerang. So I've been doing my research. So I'm going to go get one that I don't care if it breaks. I'm going to learn how to do it. I've already been practicing the move. But I I looked up, I had, this is, I couldn't read this, the inscription on the back, but I could, would you have any guess what those letters are? Uh, It's probably the, the name of the indigenous tribe. It is, and I figured it out. Yeah. Can you pronounce that? I, I don't know how to say that appropriately. Winjar, Winjari. Windajari. Okay. Yeah. Win, win, yep. W-I-R-A-D-J-U-R-I. We're a jury or something. I'm not sure. But, the um, end will be Jari. Winjari. I know Jari. Jari. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's neat. So thank you, Christian Hills. And for and and thank you for that analogy. Okay, so let's go to the other side of the question, which is what's the expense, right? What's the liability of not? What is the incredible cost of not doing the work to create an environment that is characterized by safety? Oh, um, there are two things that you that are real. If you, in the context of a business, there are two things that are extremely important and needed. Number one is the will of the people. Number two is the strategy. So, you know, we can we can put a, together a reasonable strategy. Let's take it off to a university. Let's get it marked up. You get 60 out of 100. Most strategies are roughly wrong and probably right. Um, so let's say it's 50-50. But if your will of the people is low, like 10, so 90% of the people who go to work in your organization every day are not engaged, are not aligned with the purpose. They don't feel safe. They don't believe that they're learning something new. Then 10 times 50 is 500. But if you've got a, a will of the people of 80, means 80% of the people who go to work every day are aligned with the purpose. They feel safe. You know, they're treated with respect and dignity. They're learning something new. They're going home happy. 80 times 50 is 4,000. So it's a combination of both. Unfortunately, most, a lot of leaders get that out of balance. They, they spend a disproportionate amount of time on just the strategy mm-hmm. and not about what you need to execute it. And if you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have brave execution of that strategy, mm-hmm. you will not maximize the outcome of your business and you will not create a thriving economy for your business, which in any thriving economy, the constituents of that economy do very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're reminding me of Marcus Aurelius now. <laughs> so now to me, it's like hors Right. You know, right. The years ago, I read something that the Dalai Lama wrote, and he said, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And what I observed, most organizations and most leaders were not making people happy. They were either hurting them or sending them home unhappy. Yeah. And, you know, if we can send people home happy, Happy people create happy communities. Happy communities create happy countries. Happy countries create a happy world. And my God, we need a happy world. Amen. And the place where we can do that is in business because we're touching these people every day. Every day. Yeah. And right. And you mentioned that, that this is 
work is where we spend the majority of our waking hours. Mm-hmm. Right? So I love that your answer there uh, start. So there's two, two pieces to it. Engaged. Did you say engaged people? What was the descriptor that you used? The will of the people, the which will. is really, it, it, it's described, you know, openly as employee engagement. Okay. So are your people, but it's really high employee engagement equals the high will of the people. Oh, good. Oh, nice. And then strategy. Together. Yeah, but reasonable strategy, high yeah. will of the people, great outcome. Okay. All right. So let's, so you have great outcomes. All right. Now this is data that comes from the article that you wrote two or three years ago. So the, the data may not be perfectly accurate today. I suspect it's probably better. So, so correct me. Uh, in the last 20 years or so, your sales have quadrupled. Accurate? Five times now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm giving false, false, fake news over here. It's better than what I'm saying. Market cap increased from 250 million to, oh, what? Uh, 3.2 billion right now. This, this, we need to update this because it said two point, man. And annual compounded growth rate of total shareholder return was 15%. Do we have any report on that? It's still about the same. Okay. Those are very good numbers. You agree? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? There's one other number. Oh, please share. Employee engagement, 93%. And 98% of people say they love to tell people that they work. I saw that. How good does that make you feel? People are going, I'm happy. They love working at the company. Then yeah, 97. How, you, how does that, because you, you called that your favorite metric. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, does it make, how does it make you feel? Um, it makes me feel contented. Mm, mm, mm. Because I mm. think we've made a positive, a place where people can make a positive difference. So I want to slow that down for a second, if we could, Gary, because there's a lot of leaders that are listening to this. And I want them to get that because what a gift for you. Yeah, what a, absolutely. What, what a privilege that you get to have that experience. It's an honor. It's an right? honor. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. It's an honor. Nothing short of an honor. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm privileged to and, and grateful that I've ever had the opportunity to be a tribe member and work with the remarkable people that I work with every day in the WD-40 tribe because I am consciously incompetent, probably wrong and roughly right <laughs> at most things. <laughs> probably wrong and roughly right. Yeah, you know, I, I loved what you were, at some point you were, you were writing about uh, a pivot moment in your life in leadership where you discovered you don't have to be the know-it-all. And how liberating that was for you. The three most important words I've ever learned in my life. I don't know. Um, and get comfortable with it. Mm, mm, because, yeah. you know, early in yourself, right? You, 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 you want people to think you have all the answers. Yeah. You, you don't have very many answers at all. Um, and, mm, you mm. know, once you come to grips with that, then... It's realizing that our job as a leader or a coach is to have an environment where people can bring their best self to work every day. They feel safe and they will help you or all of us get to the result we want to get to because not one of us is as good as all of us. So let's just make sure we're allowing people to bring their brilliance to work. Mm. Mm. Instead of, you know, you don't have to leave your mind at home when you come to work. And, no, and also, don't leave your heart at home. Bring that along as well. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks for letting me slow that down because I know that the, the, the folks who are in leadership roles, that's, that's a point that I really, I mean, that's a takeaway. That's a gift right there to take away from this conversation is like divinely, selfishly speaking, we as leaders slash coaches get to create that experience for ourselves by loving our people into safety and into their excellence. And, and you, you know, from what I've learned about you, you've been a great coach over time, right? 
So yes. let, let's think about the attributes of a coach versus a micromanaging leader. A great coach spends most of their time on the sideline and in the locker room. You don't see a great coach running onto the field and picking up the ball. And you know, you you were a golf you, you're a golfer, right? You're you got in, you, you coached golf at Arizona, I believe you said. Arizona State you, is a big difference. Arizona State <laughs> <It's a> rivalry. <laughs> but 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 I've never seen Tiger Woods putting coach run onto the putting green yeah. and pick take the putter out of the hand of Tiger Woods and make the putt. Right. Right. Where was he? He's on the side of the green observing mm -hmm. and then in the locker room giving feedback. And I've never seen a great coach go and steal the green jacket from the winner and put it on. So a coach's job is to spend time on the sideline, in the locker room, observing the play, cheering on, and, in, and then giving feedback around, this is what I observed. Here's something you may not have seen. Here's something that may have got in your way. How can I get that out of your way? And in the locker room, building that trusting relationship. Because in the locker room too, you can have those kind of conversations, which are, if they're based on your values, sometimes they can be redirecting conversations because culture equals values plus behavior times consistency. Hold on a second. I got to get that. Uh, culture... Equals, equals values plus behavior plus behavior times consistency times consistency okay and let me give you an example of how values can help you be a great coach and this is an, an absolute real situation that happened some time ago but our number two value at wd40 company is we value creating positive lasting memories in all of our relationships so I'm a coach and I'm in a meeting one morning and someone's in that meeting and they're not creating positive lasting memories. They've had a bad morning. You know, they, you can feel the negative toxin emotion, you know, flooding the room, sucking the oxygen out. <laughs> so what, what, what do I do as a coach? Well, I don't get, jump into the playing field there and redirect them and, you know, tell them what to do. However, the meeting finishes and I said to the, I say to the person, hey, Chris, let's go for a walk. And we walk outside the building and I start looking in a trash can and behind a tree and under a car. And Chris says to me, what the hell are you doing? I say, Chris, the you I know and love was not in that room today. What's on your mind? What's getting in your way? So we start having a conversation. And, 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 the, and I say, the reason I want to have that conversation, Chris, is because our number two value is creating positive, lasting memories. Yeah. And, and you, you weren't doing that. So Chris says to me, this is my morning. I got up late. I kicked my foot on the bed. I spilled coffee in my car. Someone flipped me off. I had a phone conversation with my wife, partner, and significant other that, wasn't, that was not necessarily that enjoyable. And I brought all that to the office. And I then spewed all that out. So at the end of the conversation, we, we have a little coaching session and we agree, hey, that wasn't the memory. You know, high five, all's good. So Chris goes back in and apologizes to a couple of people in the room and they all say, we know that wasn't you, Chris. You know, you're a good man. No worries, mate. What happens the next day? People are going to Chris saying, hey, mate, you okay? Everything all right? Can I help you with anything? That's using values to redirect behavior mm -hmm. around creating a, an, an era, a, a, a culture of safety. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have those values to rely on, how could I have coached like that? I probably would have been, you know, the manager who wants to manage that person's emotions, but I couldn't do that. I don't remember where I heard or read this recently, but you actually used this word earlier in this conversation at least twice. But someone somewhere, some great mind, some great thought leader said, the most valuable or most important attribute of a leader is empathy. Oh, yeah. yeah okay, you agree with that. Um, you're talking about it right now. How do you define, how do you define empathy? I have a, a nice way of describing it that relates to me. Chris, you and I are out on a boat and we're out in the middle of the ocean and it's a rough sea. Ooh. And there you are at the side of the boat at the rail and you're throwing up. Mm. And I come along and I 
put my arm around you and I give you a paper towel and I say, I'm sorry that you're sick, feeling sick, Chris. That's sympathy. When I start throwing up next to you, that's mm. empathy. Oh, that's so great. So empathy is living your emotion at the time. And one of the, one of the things that this guy does, his ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. Yes. Is that in the, where is I, is that in here? No, Al wasn't born when I wrote the book. Where did I hear or read this? I've said right. it a thousand times. Yeah, so. maybe it's, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Can you say it again? The, this is Al. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. I love that analogy of seasickness. I'm so stealing that. <laughs> I probably stole it from someone. Okay, yeah, I steal everything. I'm, I'm a thief yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> How do you teach empathy? I don't know you can teach it. Really? I think, I don't think you can teach empathy. Maybe just by being it? I think you have to experience it. Hmm. And in that way, you appreciate it. So, so modeling. So you're modeling it. You're modeling it. You just be it. Yeah. You just demonstrate it. And, and, and you feel it, you know. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if, if someone is empathetic towards you, if they're throwing you, you know, empathy, mm. you, you know, you, 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 you then yourself go, you know, I, I like this. I, I, I want to be like that. And it's hard. Until it isn't, right? If we practice. So can I tell you um can I tell you a story that you just reminded me of? That's Absolutely. From, yeah, because it's a beautiful story. And um it, it's it's a story that is about a guy whose name is David Jack. DJ, I hope you're watching this. I'm gonna send you a link to this. I tell you, DJ, I tell the story all the time. So David Jack <clears throat> is a world-renowned physical trainer. He's Katie Couric's trainer, been on her show a million times. He's in Men's Health magazine, he's a big big deal. And he's also a former Tough Talks guest. So I mentioned Jeff Ritter, who's the golf guy whose text I read you earlier. Jeff, Jeff as a golf instructor, Jeff's wife as a world-renowned nutritionist, right? Kate Ritter, David Jack, world-renowned physical trainer, and CD, world-renowned mental coach, are doing an event up in uh, Pebble Beach for Apple, for their uh, financial services leadership team. We're, I never met David Jack until this very day. We're up there, right? The day before our, our three-day long event uh, initiates and we go for a hike. It's an incredible hike to go overlook the um, Monterey Bay. The three of them were in like Iron Man shape. This guy, not so much. So, so I got to tell you, Gary, I was hurting. I mean, bad. Like it was a harsh hike. And I was, it was no, there was no fun in it for me. All I was trying to do was not puke. I'm not kidding. There's zero exaggeration in that. So we get back and I got all spaghetti legs and I, I'm nauseous. I succeeded in not throwing up. So that was my win. <laughs> I didn't even get to see Monterey Bay because my eyes weren't working. So uh, we get back and Jeff, we're going to his condo. His, he lives at the top of this incredible, like really steep hill. So I'm looking at it thinking, I can't even. So I tell Jeff to go get his car to drive me up the driveway. And he looks at me. He's like, CD, you got to be kidding me right now. I said, get in your damn car. <laughs> so he's just shaking his head. God. Meanwhile, DJ, David Jack, who I barely know, comes over to me and puts his hand on my shoulder and says, brother, I got you. I know where you're at. And I'm going to meet you there. We're going to climb this hill together. You just walk. I'm going to bear crawl it backwards. And now I don't know this guy. I, I'm, I'm all full of judgment. I'm like, ah, we, we all get that you're in amazing shape for God's sake. Don't be a damn show off. Right. But he's, he's just being in love, like being in a state of loving empathy. And he calls it dedication. Same thing. So because I'm going to dedicate this to you. So I'm going to bear crawl it backwards. You ready? So he gets down on all fours. And if anybody doesn't know what bear crawl means, it's you're crawling on all fours, which is hard to do forwards on a flat surface, nonetheless backwards on a steep incline. That's unthinkable. 
especially after that hike. And then after the hike, he did a sprint up some like obsolete railroad tie stairwell called the Stairway to Heaven. Anyway, so he's toast. So here we go. We're going up the hill. And he is instantaneously struggling, like hard, veins popping out, sweating, spitting, gasping. And, and you know what I'm doing? Come on, DJ, <laughs> you got this. I forgot about my own shittiness. I forgot about my own pain and poor meanness. And I was inspired by his empathy. His joining me in my world had me discover a reservoir of strength that a minute ago I was convincing myself I didn't even have. And we get up to the top and the next thing I know is we're hugging it out. And I'm going, looking at him, going, what the hell did you uh, teach me that? <laughs> great. Right? He, yeah. That's a, that's a great story. He, he, he ignited the, the, the passion that you had to, to actually motivate him to do yeah. something that he wanted to do. Great yeah. story. Thank you for letting me share that story. So tell us about your experience. You were a student. When you met Ken Blanchard, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was your teacher. Can you talk to us about the whole, hey, don't, well, it's the subtitle of the book. Don't mark my paper. Help me get an A. Can you tell us about that process yeah. and, 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 and how you do that at the WD-40 company? Sure. So back in 1997, I was given the privilege to lead WD-40 as the CEO. I'd only been in the United States for three years. Uh, I'd been with the company 10 so here's this one-time guy from this Aussie guy, had not long in this country. Now he's the CEO of a public company. Oh, my goodness. So I looked around and I thought, you know what? I, I really need help here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to school and I'm going to sharpen my, my sore. I want to hit my, my goal was I want to learn what I don't know and reconfirm what I think I know. That was what I did. So I looked around and I found this program at the University of San Diego called the Master of Science in Executive Leadership. And I enrolled. And Ken Blanchard was one of my professors. In fact, he and the school put this program together. Ken often says most MBA programs get people just in the head. We got to get them in the head and in the heart. And Ken is, you know, the the speaker of the, the, the example of servant leadership. So he was my professor um, in, in the program and, and, and really one of the great um, uh, advocates of the program. Anyhow, he told a story one day about when he was teaching at a university and he used to give out the final paper for the, for the uh, uh, class at the beginning of the class. And administration in the university got all over his case and said, Blanchard, what the hell are you doing giving these the, out the final paper at the beginning of the class? You're here to teach them. He said, not only am I giving out the final paper now, I'm going to help them learn the answers over the next three semesters because life's not about some stupid distribution curve. It's about helping people get A's. And I went, duh. You're right. What do we do in organizations? We don't, we're not clear about accountability. We don't show people, you know, we don't explain what we expect of them. Expectations are not clear. So we put together this program and that's what the book is about is how do you create a, a talent development coaching uh, um, atmosphere program within a company where it's all about not, marking someone's paper, but helping them get an A. And that's what it's about. Now, Ken is now 82 years old. Mm. Um, he lives about 15 minutes from my house. Oh, neat. Uh, we play golf most Wednesday afternoons together. I'm going to have to come join you one time. If I'm yeah, nine holes. <laughs> we play nine holes of golf most Wednesday afternoons. And uh, oh. uh, yeah, I was on the board of his company for 10 years after I, a little time after I've graduated. We're great mates. Uh, and I am just forever grateful to have had the opportunity to learn. And, you know, oh. Ken, Ken says, well, you know, you've proved that what we say is, you know, not just some theory because you went and put it to work and look what happened. So. Yeah. You know, I mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation that you reminded me so many times and you continue to of my uh, late great mentor, Jim Myers, who gave out to his 
executive forum group, every single one of Ken Blanchard's book, this one is my favorite. Raving fans. Yep. I refer to this. I use this. I give this out. I require, you know, my clients to read that. So I hope I get to meet him one day. Let's talk about some of these distinctions. Can we do that? Uh-huh. Can we, why don't we start with this one? Tribe? What is, yeah. What's the difference between a tribe and a team? A team is something you play on situationally to win a game. A tribe is something that you're part of to build an enduring thing over time. That's the simplistic answer to it, you know. Um, you know, and, and you have teams within tribes, but, you know, the attributes of tribes and the needs of tribes are different. And, and, the, and you, you don't necessarily belong to a team in, for an enduring period, but a tribe you can because, you know, if you take a game of rugby, you, you know, you're, you're part of the rugby team, you get on, you play the game, you know, there's a start and a finish time, there's a referee and there's some rules, someone wins, someone loses, you go home, you may get picked on the team next week or not, that's fine, but you've played the game. Where a tribe is is an enduring thing that you, and I, we have a, a definition of a tribe uh, at, at WD40 Company, which is pretty cool. It's at WD40 Company we call our, our employees tribe members. As individuals and as an organisation, we aspire to live up to the behaviours of a tribe. For example, for us, a self-sustaining and interdependent tribe share common attributes such as values, knowledge, celebration, ceremony, and a strong sense of belonging. Each tribe member is recognized for their specialized skills and their contribution to benefit the greater good of the tribe. Through these efforts, a tribal culture becomes a self-sustaining place where people want to stay and grow. <laughs> Roger that. Okay. <clears throat> And I know that you could elaborate on that ad nauseum, right? But that is a beautifully succinct way of articulating the difference. Um, you know, in, in, in part of your description of the tribe, uh, somewhere I read uh, about like you don't you don't you don't fire people. You had different. Oh, you, we share them with competitors. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, right? But it's hard, like, but like people expect to stay, like when you're in, you're in. Well, yeah, I mean, but then, you know, WD-40 is a great place, but it's not for everybody. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, culture is important. And sometimes people, you know, need to be happy somewhere else. Uh, so I love that. And I, and I suspect that that's in no way a euphemism, but rather a mentality. It's a way of more powerfully interpreting that reality. Yeah, like I love it's very common. I'm sharing my talent with our competitors. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody has a, a place. And sometimes mm. where you are right now isn't the place where you want to be. All right, let's go to the next one. So what's the difference between a coach and a manager? Well, I think I've shared that earlier, you know, I, yeah. a manager wants, you manage a bank account, you manage inventory, managers want to be micromanagers. A coach is there to, through their observation and their coaching, help the player play a better game. So yeah. they're, they're not running on the field. They're not playing right. the game for them. They're there to observe, encourage, cheerlead, direct, and bring value to the person that's playing the game right. through observation. Yeah, that, that, that warrants repeating. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of leaders need to hear that over and over again. So, so, the, so your employees who are in leadership roles, are, are, their titles are coach? Yeah, we don't have any managers. Everybody is a coach. So Everyone? Who, everybody. Everybody's everybody has is a coach. Oh, we don't have everybody's called a coach. So the person you report to is called your coach. <laughs> That's so neat. Huh. <clears throat> mm. 
You say that you don't mistake, you don't make mistakes at the WD40 company. How is that even possible? Yeah, because we have learning moments. So, you know, one of the biggest, um, one of the things that that really emotionally distract people is fear, right? It's one of the biggest biggest things that we have mm -hmm. is fear. So fear of failure. So why would you want to bake the fear of failure into an organization? So we said, let's take the word failure out. Let's mm -hmm. replace that with a learning moment. And here's the definition of a learning moment. A learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. So if you were to be wandering around our tribe, you would hear all the time, my learning moment on this was, I had a learning moment that was, which means people are not, they don't feel ashamed or afraid to admit that, you know, it didn't quite work out the way it would. Now, why wouldn't we have that? You know, if you're the best hitter in baseball, you're hitting 300 out of a thousand, right? Right. So what are with the other 700 balls? Were they failures or were they learning moments? Mm. Uh, that reminds me of the Thomas Edison thing. So someone interviewed him after he finished completing the, the light bulb. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. Something like, and I'm going botch it, but whatever. So the point is, you know, uh, how do you feel about having, you know, failed a thousand times? And he said, I, what, are you, what are you even talking about? It's like every one of those attempts got me, was progress. Well, come to me where I am now. It, just, exactly. it had me know what didn't work so I could get to what finally did. Learning moments. There's a, a mantra. I use a lot of mantras. <clears throat> and one of them is, there is no failure in my world. There are only results. And, I, and there's two categories of results. I got what I wanted. I didn't. I love them both. Yeah, right. right? I celebrate, which I love is in your world. It's characteristic of a tribe. Uh, when I get what I want, I celebrate it. And when I don't, I get to grow. That's what you're that's learning. Exactly. Yeah, well, you want to be a curious learner. I mean. You watch Ted Lasso? <laughs> Actually, I, I, funny you should ask me that. Well, there's so many people were telling me about how, how they love that show. Yeah. And recently at Christmas, I flew from Los Angeles to Sydney. And they happened to have oh, that show on the, on the, um, uh, on the, on the, entertainment yeah. on the plane so i actually did get to watch the first i binge watched the first series on, yeah. the, on, on of that on the way down there which was is uh i can't remember if it was in the first uh um series uh the the be curious episode at the when they're playing darts i don't recall it but i'm sending it to you i'll send it to you brilliant you. brilliant you're gonna love it <laughs> brilliant Okay. A tool that I use in my work, in my coaching is, and it came from my work when I was working exclusively with athletes, competitive athletes, but I use it now with everyone. It's, uh, it's called game face. <clears throat> and a game face is the mood you're in when you're at your best. Everybody's heard the term game face, but most people don't actually know what it really is. And it's a unique specific state of mind that we're in when we are at our best and everyone's is unique to them. Right? Like everybody has a thumbprint, but not identical, right? So everybody's got a game face. And what we do is what we need to do is to go figure out what is yours. And mine is warrior expert Buddha. So when I'm at my best, I have those three elements. So I was really excited to, to read about the warrior uh, in, in your writing. But can you tell us about the happy warrior? Because uh, that seems counterintuitive or, or um, contradictory, happy warrior? Well, I think it's because most people think of that warrior means negative, but it doesn't really mean negative, does it? It's, it's, more, of a, it's more of a state of, of wanting to accomplish with a, a high degree of enthusiasm. So mm. you, can, you can accomplish with a high degree of enthusiasm and you can call yourself a warrior, um, but you can be happy doing it. So we can be fully, fully competitive 
and at the same time enthusiastic mm-hmm. and happy right. like, you know comp- competitive you know it, it, it's not a necessarily you know I, I really often think about I'd never want to be in a situation if I win you lose you know and of course you know you're playing game or whatever there's a place there's a winner or a loser but because they I won did they really lose or was there something in that you know, if I was playing golf with you and you be- beat me, and you probably yeah. would because I'm a very bad golfer, <laughs> but I, I would, I, I might lose, but I might win because I learned something from you in that game. So there, you, so with that mentality of no such thing as failure, no such thing as mistakes, only learning moments, you can't lose. You can't lose. You can't lose. You walk away with something. Did you meet Francis Hasselbein? I have several times. I've drinking champ. I've, I've drunk champagne with Francis Hesselbaum. I have a great story about Francis. So I had the beautiful privilege of meeting with her, but I was told I will not get the meeting unless I bribe her. And I did. It was excellent advice. Great champagne and chocolate covered strawberries. Perfect. And she said, yes. <laughs> well, you know, her favorite saying is when they ask her, you know, what is, what is one of the big driving forces in your life? She said, that makes you successful. And she says, it's my, my blood type. And they say, what is it? And she says, be positive. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so a, and she's alive and kicking, yeah? 104, Six. I believe. 106. 106, yeah. 106. Well, I, I, I was in New York, and she is, obviously, she is a dear friend of one of my dear friends, Marshall Goldsmith. And, okay. And we were together at a piano bar in New York City called Don't Tell Mama. And, uh, and, um, we were sitting there and, I, and, and sipping champagne with, with Frances Heschelbein. And that would have been about four years ago. I think she was 102 then. Oh, so. my gosh. That is so great. Yeah. What an amazing woman. Yeah. Both Ken and, and Marshall say she's probably one of the greatest leaders they've ever met in, they've, oh, well, they've met yeah. in their lives. And the reason I brought her up is because you were recently a contributor in the book that they put together Marshall Goldsmith and Francis yep. Hesselbein. And the title of this is incredible. The title of the book, so that you contributed to your contributing author, is Work is Love Made okay. Visible. Wow. And then, and then the subtitle is A Collection of Essays About the Power of Finding Your Purpose from the World's Greatest Thought Leaders. Like you. So that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Creating positive, lasting memories. That's what you do. I have the greatest job in the world. I wake up every day to help people create positive, lasting memories. The most exciting way part about that is finding all the different ways to do it. Because at the end of the day, all you have is memories. Everything else goes back in the box. So, um, you know, it's about how do you create positive, lasting memories? Can I share one with you? Yes, please. This is my favorite one. I, this is my favorite. I have four cans. I have four. There is, I can't remember a period of my life where we didn't have WD-40 in the house. So I'm going to, I'm going to share. All right. Have you ever heard that the olfactory sense has the greatest memory of all the senses? No. Oh, no. Well, we're going to do a test here. You know where I'm going right now? I'm going back shop with you, with your grandfather. Oh, this is good. So I'm going back to the Jersey shore. I'm literally transported right now. The smell of WD 40 is taking me back to what we call the utility room at our, our shore house down in sea isle city, New Jersey, where when we got down there, we would go for summers. What a beautiful privilege, but everything's rusted out because it's at the beach, literally five houses from the ocean. Right, everything it's all salt air, everything is rusted. So, you know what I'm smelling right now? Recreation. I'm smelling, I am this smell brings me back to having everything, all my toys work exactly. My fishing reels, my bikes. We had a a two seater, a tandem bike, bicycle built. We call it a bicycle built, yeah, uh huh. The bicycle built for two. I got goosebumps right now, man. And I loved riding that bike and I loved riding it alone 
right? I love riding with somebody else, but it, that was more of like, you're worried about them messing up or falling off. I like riding it alone because I felt like I was driving a truck and that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, but you had to be careful. You had to go wide and stuff. But when it when the bike wouldn't work, if the chain was all rusted out, I'm bummed. And this, I mean, this stuff. We didn't ever even talk one word about how amazing the damn product is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, this is good. <laughs> but that's, that's, you certainly, in my world, my friend, uh, have totally succeeded in creating positive permanently lasting memories thank you for that thank you well you know that's why we say that our purpose is we exist to create positive lasting memories solving problems in factories homes and workshops around the world we solve problems we create memories and we create opportunities yeah. and it's interesting that's that's the purpose of the company where you know if someone was to say to you what what's the purpose of wd-40 you know you say stop squeaks boring no what <laughs> People ask me what business we're in. I said, we're in the memories business. Yeah, man. So beautiful. We're in the memories business. Amen. What a perfect place to wrap up. I want to say thank you. Well, not just for the memories, um, but for the new wisdom that I'm learning from you. And I am so proud to be able to share you and who you are and how and who you choose to be with the people that I serve. So thank you for being that magnificent gift that I get to give to my people. Well, thank my you. tribe. Thank you, Chris. Well, you know, I often say I stole this from Ken Blanchard. I think life's a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. Uh, amen. <laughs> Love <laughs> it. Thank you, Gary. So very much. My pleasure best cheers Woo! <laughs> yay oh man oh son of a gun i forgot to i wanted to show him he quotes ram das in one of his articles and i wanted to show him this is um this is an amazing shirt which was given to me by a client of mine zach oliva and it's a, it's a Ram Das shirt. I forgot to send it, show him that. Well, hey, Gary, if you're watching this all the way through to the outro, how cool is that? If you want one, if you want one, Gary, I'll get one of these for you. Okay. So, wow. Thank you again, Meredith Bell, for that remarkable introduction. Uh, I, I'm so happy that I got to share with him at the end my own positive, lasting memory of what his product, right, um, has has meant to me. And now, now, how, how much more it means and will always mean. I use this all the time. My garage doors, everything. I just used it the other day on my, my uh, back patio furniture. They were squeaking. I think this one could use a little WD-40. I'm going to create a positive, lasting memory with my chair here. <laughs> Whoo, I'm getting seasick. Speaking of seasick, I love that. How good was that, though, right? His uh, definition of empathy. Puking with you. <laughs> Culture equals values plus behavior times consistency. No, I mean, look at these. What great distinctions, right? Not a team's a tribe. Nothing wrong with teams, but tribes are a hell of a lot more powerful and uniquely, distinctly different. Longevity, long haul, togetherness, belongingness, coaches. Everybody's a coach. I didn't pick that up until he said it. That's so cool. I thought he just didn't have managers and that they call them coaches. But everyone, every single employee in the WD-40 company is a coach. How powerful is that? He's got a lot of like, he even says it himself, like, duh. You know, like when Ken Blanchard opened up that course by giving them, you know, the, I, I guess what he meant was the solutions to the exam or what exactly he's going to be asking for for the final paper at the end, basically giving away the answers. Good. And then, like, teaching them that. Like, duh. Why? Like, yeah, duh. Why isn't that the norm? Like, why do we got to make everybody work so hard to learn? Just to have, like, have them learn more faster. Give them the answers and explain all semester long why they're the answers so they learn it. They don't have to worry about trying to get it right. So good. 
we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments. Good stuff. I mean, like, then there's so much more. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy he referred to. I'm going to include his article in the show notes here. Three most important words. Do you remember what they are for a leader? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I used to say the four most important. Okay, well, I'm going to say both. I'm stealing so much from you, Gary Ridge. I'm going to say that the, the four most important words a leader can say is, I believe in you. I like to mess with people. First, I say the four most important words a leader can say to their people or to their tribe members uh, are, don't F this up. <laughs> it's not, that's not it. That doesn't create safety, right? It's, I believe in you. Now, and the three most important words that a leader can say to the tribe is, I don't know. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Brilliant. <clears throat> Love that. What a great fun time I just had learning with him. I'm sure you did as well. All right, my tribe. Until next time. Create miracles.